Mo, come here, buddy. You're going to be in the movies. And the person interviewing me wrote those words down, looked up from his piece of paper and said to me, so do you think we're going to like that? Yeah, I, I do what I do today, Kathy, because of a fourth grade field trip. No credit to me, just me fumbling along with what I knew at the time and the dog being very forgiving of my mistakes. Power. It's an interesting word. So many people think the power is this external thing. It's a top-down, clamping down on people, shoving energy out sort of thing. And that's not my experience. I don't know. Maybe it's because I spend a lot of time with dogs. And when I'm working with a dog, even though I am the big dog, the way I do that isn't force. It's internal power. I don't get to be the leader of a dog by making the dog follow me. I get to be the leader that the dog is inspired to follow. If you want to see an effective presentation or personification of that, Michael Shikashio is a great example. If you're a regular here at Talk Unleashed, which if you're not, that's just silly. We'll talk about that later. Michael was one of the very first people I invited on the show. He's humble, unassuming, and he's really, really good at what he does. So what does he do? Put simply, he saves dogs' lives. He is a specialist in aggressive dog rehabilitation. He's the last house on the block for some pups. I was thrilled he agreed to come back and continue the conversation that we had started. He joined me in early November at my Unleashed Leadership Summit. We got a chance to dig more deeply into things like adversity, compassion, and of course, his first teacher, Sarge the Collie. I'm Kathy Brooks, and this is Talk Unleashed. My next guest is someone with whom I have had the distinct pleasure of having dinner. We got that chance to share barbecue in Austin, Texas a couple of years ago. Um, we also had the great opportunity to speak uh, for one of my very first episodes of Talk Unleashed. And when I asked Michael Shikashio if he would be gracious enough to join me for today's Unleashed Leadership Summit to continue that conversation that he and I had, I was just utterly delighted when he said yes. So Michael, welcome, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. So when, uh, for, for the uninitiated, for those who may not know who this remarkable human being is, um, so Michael uh, is uh, among the most respected voices, certainly in the United States, if not internationally, specifically around aggressive dog training work. So what does that mean? So in a lot of cases, Michael may be the last house on the block for some of these dogs, dogs that are showing uh, deep aggression issues, um, whether it's to people, whether it's reactivity to other dogs, people in the house, all sorts of different scenarios. Uh, and if th these behaviors don't get pulled into line, these dogs may, may be in some serious trouble. And so Michael, um, you know, began his time. Uh, he did not start out to be a dog trainer. He started out fostering dogs. He was fostering labs. And when you foster for a while and you get good at, they start giving you the hard ones. And through that process, Michael got to see that in, 
in seeing that these dogs needed behavioral work, they didn't just need a home, they needed help with their behavior. He began to truly dive into how to be that responsible steward for these dogs. Um, and when we first talked, you told me a great story from your childhood about a collie named Sarge, who at one point in time gave you a really important lesson. And maybe you could relate. I'd love for us to start with that story because it really is this aware, the awareness and the learning from that is such an important message. Yeah. So I, I, I want to first give you a shout out for the really deep, thoughtful questions you've been asking everybody today. I got to pop in and out a little bit and uh, listen to some of the interviews. It's been, it's been excellent. And, and your questions go above and beyond the normal interview. Make me think of a little bit. So that's really wonderful. So shout out for that. Um, so yeah, Sarge, my colleague, um, kind of was the dog that you had as a kid that when you're a kid, you don't know necessarily the right things to do with dogs. You um, unless you have somebody showing you that. So he was uh, put up with me and he taught me a lot about tolerance and kindness uh, and really just like understanding where another being, not just a human, but also a dog uh, can come from. And so he's, he, you know, doing things that kids do, stupid things that kids do when they're unsupervised with their dogs. He put up with a lot of the things I would do, you know, like, grabbing ears and this is when i was maybe i can't remember how old it was maybe seven or eight or something like that he would put up with so much and tolerate so much of what i did and he would even let me know though sometimes when it was a little too much but with just enough where he didn't get himself in trouble and so he snapped and growled and, and things like that at me but that's kind of started my journey into uh learning about relating to animals and dogs and uh, certainly what the work i'm doing today with aggression one of the things that was so impactful for me in our in our very first conversation and and this idea of tolerance and patience and this idea of awareness of another being you know something that isn't human um hopefully this gets carried into our human interactions as well but this idea of patience and tolerance and boundaries and and really respecting and honoring boundaries one of the things I see so often, I had this with a client just this past week who has infantilized their dog and anthropomorphized their dog to such a degree that the dog has no personal space. And so the dog isn't respecting human space because they've been taught that that boundary is no longer there. Talk to me a little bit about you walk into a house, you've got a situation with a, a dog, you kind of suss it out. And you've got family who are maybe having some of those boundary issues. What does that conversation look like with you when you're navigating them through that new learning? Yeah, that's such a great question because there's, we, I think as humans and when we're relating to dogs, you have all kinds of extremes. You see this all the time. I'm sure the work you do as well is where you're seeing these extremes impacting the relationship between the dog and the human. And that can go either way. Sometimes it's a lot of heavy-handed, domineering, you know, punishing the dog for the smallest things. And sometimes it's giving the dog everything, no boundaries at all. Just the dog is, you know, that free run of the entire house is kind of running the show, so to speak. And um, what can happen, though, is sometimes what what what's in the work I do that removes something called agency. So agency is choice and control in the environment. 
And that in itself is very important for all animals to experience. Because if we are taken to either extreme of not having any choice in control, whether it's through all of the threat of punishment or what the owner is wanting that dog to do all that time, or put the dog in its place or don't do this, don't do that. Or on the other end of the extreme, you're going to you know, do, get all of these things from me, but I'm not giving you a lot of choice and control in those things. So I'm going to spoil you. I'm going to give you all these things. And what that creates is an unhealthy relationship in a lot of circumstances, both for the human and the dog, but it impacts how that dog behaves in their environment because it's not natural. We're taking away all of that choice and control. So for any being, whether it's a human, a dolphin, or dog, they need to have agency and to be able to act on their environments with their own choices um, and being empowered to do that. Because if we don't, that's, that's where aggression starts. And it can go on either end of that kind of extreme. So I, um, I say something to my clients um, when I'm kind of breaking down dog behavior for them and we kind of go through how did the dog become the dog and what's the evolution of the species and yada, yada, yada. And then I say something that, um, uh, that always gets a raised eyebrow. And so I'm going to say it to you, especially in light of the work you do. I do not believe that there is such thing as an inherently aggressive dog or that calling a dog aggressive is like, like people aren't aggressive either, but they will behave aggressively if they feel threatened, they're not well. Like a, that a dog, that I feel like this word aggression gets laid on dogs whenever they behave in a way that is aversive to a human. It snaps, it bite, you know, it snaps at, it maybe bites, it's barking in an overtly overconfident sort of way, whether it's fear-based or not, they're kind of barking at, showing teeth, what have you. And people are like, oh, that dog's aggressive. It's like, well, no, no. The dog is behaving in a certain way because of a thing. But like if you call, it's like the I am statement. If I say I am and then insert whatever after, it, there's power. There's like, there's a power to that. So when you think about just what are your, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so uh, that, that's exactly it. Is aggression is behavior. It's not a personality trait. We as humans like to do that. We like to assign personality traits to people. And we also like to do it with animals. But it's very unfair for the animal when most of the time we as humans are creating the environment that's eliciting that behavior. And so we do things that maybe we're handling the dog in a certain way. Or the dog's in pain and responds aggressively. Or maybe we're going the other new bone or something that we just gave them. And we expect them to just behave in our own uh, expectations, what we want for the behavior. That oftentimes is unnatural because aggression is a very normal behavior. And we, unfortunately don't see that sometimes as humans. Aggression is it's normal behavior for for everything from an insect, a grasshopper, all the way and up to, you know, humans and primates. And we've used all species have used aggression or aggressive behaviors to survive, to to evolve over the eons and generations, and dogs included. And so sometimes in our human constructs, what we see is what we'd want to see in our society and coexisting with dogs, we say, oh, that dog's aggressive, or that dog's Cujo, or we get to all these euphemisms, when it's actually just normal behavior. You know, when a dog growls when you go near their bone, that's normal behavior that we've, uh, that they've evolved with. And sometimes we've asked them to do, which is the, the more interesting point when we start looking at it. It's like, we've asked dogs to guard property or uh, be used in protection work or to hunt for other animals. And then when we see that happen, 
in our last 50 years of culture, suddenly, you know, what we've asked for as humans for hundreds of years is now inappropriate. And so um, it's aggressive behavior. And it's unfortunate when we start assigning that label of aggression or aggressive dog to an animal that is just acting normally. And unfortunately, aggression is, is something that society frowns upon in most cases when we have to look at its very normal behavior. Yeah, and 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 there's also the um, the label that gets placed specifically, or the blame that gets placed. You probably know where I'm going with this on specific breeds. Okay. Uh, the discussion that I have on a regular basis, you know, people will say, "Oh, well, you know, pit bulls," you know, and they'll kind of like whisper it. Um, you know, they'll say, "Well, that those are," and I'll point to the three that I have in our day school program. You know, one of which is, you know on its back with its legs splayed out, getting a belly rub, another one of which is making itself very small to play with a dog that's half of its size. You know, so I say, so that's not true. And then they all like to start pointing to dog bite statistics. Um, Now, as I understand statistical data, which I am not a data analyst by any stretch, but to have statistical data, you need a replicable data set so that you, I mean, data is based on information that is replicated and dog bite scenarios are so vast, they range so vastly. Breed, breeding, health of the animal, gender of the animal, is it neutered? Is it, you know, neutered or spayed? Is it not neutered or spayed? Is it in heat? You know, is it a female in heat? Is it traumatized? Are there children in the house? Is it, you know, is it in a straight? How can you even but I'm guessing in your work, you probably hear a lot of people say, you know, X breed, Doberman, Boxer, Bulldog, what have you. What are your thoughts on that? And the, um, I guess the the othering that happens from humans to dogs. Yeah, there's 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 some topics in dogs when we talk about dogs that are that always bring up some controversy or some uh, you know conflict between the humans discussing those topics. Nutrition and raw diets is one of them, and certainly breeds and you know what breeds certain breeds might or might not do is another one. It's a very hot topic whenever it comes up, but we do have to step back and look with a critical lens or a critical thought process when we're discussing these things because it's it's there's some uh, value in what one side says and some what the other says as well. Um, yes, the statistics can be skewed in any way anybody wants to make an argument. It's like cherry picking a study. You see it all the time in the dog training uh, conversations where somebody cherry picks a study and see, I told you so because this this article, this research paper says that, but they're extracting certain points or data points out of there to bolster their argument. And sometimes you see those papers in there completely not that's not exactly what they're talking about at all it's like completely different topics so um with breeds we've got to remember what i was just talking about is that for many centuries with some breeds we've asked them to do certain behaviors so certainly pit bulls for instance we've asked them to exhibit behaviors for our own you know entertainment so bull baiting and then blood sports and fighting and so they have a propensity sometimes not all dogs. It's always the individual dog. You always, always, there's plenty of examples of lovely pit bulls, many, many more so than actual dogs that have dog-dog aggression, for instance. But we do have to recognize that. It's the same as somebody says, I've got a border collie, but I don't want them chasing the children around in the back, backyard. right? It's, or I've got a great Pyrenees or a livestock guardian dog. I don't want them barking at the fence. And so sometimes you'll get that. 
But a lot of times you don't because it's, we've asked as humans for that dog or that particular breed to do that certain behavior. So it's always the study of one, as Dr. Susan Friedman says. You always look at the individual dog, but you do have to take into account the other parts of the equation. Are genetics involved here or are they not? And so uh, it's a big topic that requires critical thought. And, and unfortunately, that doesn't happen a lot, especially when we start getting into social media wars and things like that, it's where people will you know, want to completely talk about something that needs an entire book to argue in a one-line comment on Facebook or something, right? Well, one of the things that really struck me from our conversation, I asked you if you had a magic wand, what are, what are some of the things that you might, that you might uh, magically transform, you know, in the, in the pet care industry, specifically related around the education and the training component. And you said something really interesting um, about the camps of training. Um, I am a balance, a balanced trainer, like, right. You know, nobody shoot me. I'm a balanced dog trainer. Um, I am not a positive only trainer. Um, uh, it's just a, these are, you know, choices that I made. And, you know, you very aptly brought up that though the two camps in today's world for dog training are, there's your balanced dog training and your positive or force-free training. Um, you mentioned, um, a point that really landed for me, which is when we talk about something being free of something, salt-free, fat-free, the implication is that the thing that is it is free of is, is a bad thing. The assumption is that salt is bad for you, so a salt-free good food is good. Fat is bad for you, so fat-free good is, if food is good. Although we know now that some salt is necessary. Certain levels of fat, certain kinds of fat are necessary. Um, but that it's this othering, again, the pointing of fingers, and that if you had your way, there would be no categories. It would just be dog training and that everybody could sit down and talk with each other and kind of find the way that things work. Um, I would love for you to talk into that a little bit more around the philosophies of how do we, who care for people's dogs, really move the needle forward while we're so busy being the crabs in the bucket. It's a metaphor I've used a million times today, this idea that I'm going to yank you down because I don't like where you're going. Yeah, it's another nice, deep question. <laughs> great, great, broad question. And I love it. And I think um, with conversations in any industry or any, any, uh, just about every industry out there, you can think of, there's always this, you know, there's, there's people that are believing in one thought process and another. And a lot of times you see this happening in the conversations, but the conversations that move that needle forward towards progress and making that industry better, whatever industry is, including dog training, is that there has to be kindness and empathy in the discussions. There has to be critical thought. There has to be an openness to learning. Because if I'm just talking at somebody, they're not going to listen. You know, the first step is being open to listening to the other person's side and understanding where they're coming from. Because everybody has their culture, their experiences. For instance, Kathy, wherever you learn to train dogs, it's going to be different than wherever you learn. That's that's just our culture, what we've been exposed to for what we've learned. And let's say we never had those terms. Let's take away balanced and force-free and all these other terms. And we started, we took our own individual dog training journeys. Imagine if we just took away those terms completely and what the difference in our conversation would be. There's not that initial 
barrier of saying, ooh, can I talk to Kathy because she's a balanced trainer? Maybe I shouldn't because we're going to probably disagree on something. And you're, you're already setting the conversation up for failure because we've got those labels. And that's the unfortunate thing happening in the dog training industry to a, a really high degree right now, especially all over social media and how, how things get so quickly, uh, so information quickly spreads and people are very quick to uh, critique each other without kindness and certainly without empathy. Um, and that's the problem with it, with, with when you start creating labels and start creating camps and dichotomies and, and things that don't move that needle forward in the right direction. And when you think about it too, Kathy, think about how how much of a microcosm that is in the grand scheme of all dogs in the world, right? If you ask the vast majority of the dogs or even the pet owners in the world, what is a balanced trainer? What is a force feed trainer? Nobody's, most people are going to be like, I never heard of those terms. It's only the dog trainers. So we're just a small slice in this, in the whole world of dogs. And if you look at then you start to branch out a little bit. So we're the trainers, but what about the veterinarians? And what about the people uh, grooming dogs? And what about people, you know, feeding dogs and all these other aspects of how we take care of our dogs. Then you take a step back even further and you look at all of the cultures of dogs around the world and how humans interact with the dogs, whether they're using them for utility, for just work, and they're not allowed in the home, or maybe they're even using them as a food source or for testing. Or And, and you look at just how dogs treat around the world. And then you, again, go back to this little microcosm. We're worried about what collar we're putting on a dog or, you know, which matters in our little microcosm. But I think that's not doing us much good because we need to take a step back and look at what's happening to all of the dogs, not just from our little small training corner, right? One of the themes that keeps arising is um, looking at the way that technology pulls us into the microcosm, pulls us into the silo and kind of tethers us to that space. We're tethered by algorithms that feed us information based on the things that we look for, based on the people we're connected to, based on the number of times we look at a particular person's profile, it'll start feeding us in our feed, the other people in our own networks who are most similar to that. I mean, I know I look at Instagram and there are very specific people who show up in their stories, show up at the top all the time. And there are other friends whose stories rarely, if ever, show up, even though I know they're there somewhere. Same thing with the feed. There are some people who are in my feed all the time and they're not posting more often necessarily, but the algorithms behind are telling me that that's what's happening. One of one of my other guests um, talked about is a filmmaker and every film that that she does tends to start literally back with a view of the planet. And she says, okay, so if this is what we're looking at, before we talk about that, we got to go out here for a second and look at where that fits. And then we're going to bring our view in a little bit closer and in a little bit closer. When, when it comes to the world's online, so I belonged for a period of time to an online community that is entirely positive reinforcement trainer-based. I found myself communicating or contributing really not at all. I didn't feel like having anybody jump down my throat in the process. But I found that when I engaged individually with people in the community, that the individuals in the community were like, oh yeah, like I get it. Like you're not hurting dogs. You know, you're also doing different kind of work than I am. I'm like, yeah, 90% of the work I do is about positive reinforcement and praise of the dog. 90% of it. Occasionally, There'll be an occasion where I need to redirect the dog like, no, not that, but this. No, not that. 
but this. And I do so in an appropriate way, using the lowest level of force that I need to get that desired result on that side. And that level is going to, you know, differ vastly based on the age of the dog, breed of the dog, size of the dog, training of the dog, dog personality, et cetera, et cetera. And whatever's happened beforehand. And when I say that to them, they say, oh, I said, yeah. So that's, to me, that's what balance means. They're like, oh, so you're mostly positive reinforcement. Like, well, of course, because even humans, like think about like when someone yells at you, do you learn from that? Typically no. But when someone comes to you and says, Michael, so that thing you did, let's have a conversation about that because that wasn't okay and it can't happen again. Here's the consequence for that. You know, which of those things are you going to learn with? So I guess what I'm coming around to is when you think about these different communities, what can we as leaders in the community and what does leadership look like in a community that starts to break those silos down, that starts to, because those, if so many people, individuals in the communities actually agree with each other, yet when they are put in their collective, all of a sudden they're at odds with each other. Where do you see the opportunity for us and what does that look like for you? Yeah, it's such a good question. And it's one that I've been thinking deeply about lately because of the influence that I have, that I've realized that I've had so much on social media with other trainers watching what I do. And there's the thing I've always strived to do in my messaging is to just show what I do. Because the the first thing a lot of trainers are going to do is criticize each other. It's very popular to do that. Because what's going to happen is you have your own little camp and it's reinforcing, right? We all know about positive reinforcement and training. The same thing happens when we get that little like or that little heart or that little comment, like, good job. And then next thing you know, we're doing more of this. Oh, this trainer is bad because they're doing, look at what this trainer is doing bad. So instead of showcasing our own work, we're criticizing somebody else to get those likes, to get those comments. And that's the problem with social media is that it's it's very easy to get reinforced for behavior that might not be conducive to opening up positive dialogue in any industry, not just dog training, but it's very, 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 very prevalent in dog training, especially on platforms like TikTok. Um, and so that's where I really wanted to uh, focus on. It's just, just setting the goal of just showing what I do. No need to criticize anybody else. And in fact, if somebody criticizes me on my thread, I thank them. I thank them for that because it's conversation. Well, thanks for doing that. Because if I do that, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes you're able to open up dialogue with somebody that might not agree with your methods. So if I'm going to change their outlook in terms of what they're doing in terms of training, and I want them to maybe see more of what I'm doing or maybe just learn more about positive training in general, I'm going to to have that open conversation, a respectful kind, and that's the key word, kindness. There's not enough kindness. <laughs> we need to have more kindness. And kindness is the key to opening up that conversation and dialogue. And when you do that, then you're going to continue to influence people. And guess what's going to happen? That's that's that snowball effect. Because they're like, oh, that works. So I, maybe I'll practice some of that in my own dealings on social media. And it just, we, if you continue that, you'll start to see more and more. It's like a spider web. It just keeps happening more and more. And and the same could be said, of course, of the other side. If, if you see everybody criticizing each other, it's easy to jump on that kind of uh, path of, of getting more likes and followers. But what happens is you're just preaching to the same choir, right? You're, you're singing along with the same choir if you do that. You never get the chance to actually impact somebody else 
whose mind you might want to change towards kinder, gentler methods, right? So, yeah, that's that's um, something I would love to see more happen on social media, and we're seeing it in some ways. And of course, it's a it's a little bit of a battle as well. But I, I'm I have a, I have hope right, for the future of social media, at least in the dog training side of things. I have a, there's a colleague here of mine in Las Vegas, a fellow by the name of Antonio Diaz, leader of the pack LV is his handle on Instagram. And I think on TikTok as well. Um, He and I would be cut from the same bolt of fabric, you know, educationally wise in terms of the, the methodologies that we use. And um, I saw him the other day, he posted, there was another trainer who was, uh, I will call them an alleged balanced trainer who had posted something berating people for using harnesses and, you know, calling people idiots and this, that, and the other. And I mean, look, I'm not a fan of harnesses on a dog. I mean, unless the dog has some sort of cervical spine or neck injury that requires them not having something on their neck. I'm not a, not a huge fan. My personal choice, I don't condemn people. If, if they find a functional way to make it, you, or, you know, utilize it in their training program, great. It's a tool in the toolbox, tool in the toolbox. I mean, I've got hammers, screws, wrenches, all kinds of things in my toolbox. You know, if I say the screwdriver is bad, when I've got a screw, I'm going to be in trouble if I've demonized the tool that I need to use in the particular scenario. And what I appreciated that Antonio did was he posted the video and he called the guy out and said, what you're doing is not useful. You're berating people. Why not help them? You think that the tool isn't useful for them. Why don't you thoughtfully explain why you don't think it's useful and what alternative solution you would offer? Right now you're making noise. Please stop making noise. Um, He didn't say it quite like that. He said it with a bit more salt to it because that's just, that's who he is. But I really, I appreciated that taking a stand you know, leadership requires being uncomfortable. You know, leadership requires saying the thing that nobody else has the courage to say. Being willing to be the only person saying it when everybody else is, you know, kind of giving you the sideways stink eye, like what's up with that person over there? So when you talk about really taking a stand and using your platform and using your voice. And obviously there are consequences for doing so, right? That, that I'm sure have not gone unthought of by you. But what, is that, what does that thought process look like for you? And I guess what's the price you would be willing to pay as you stand forward to really make a, make a stand to, to help us move the needle forward? I think, I think there's multiple layers to that because I think it depends on what the the offense is or sort of what the, what the statement is or what's happening. Cause I'm the first one that's going to stand up. If I see something that um, is damaging or is hurtful or is um, taking it beyond that point of just criticism, right? So we can all have, we can all be critics at some points and we can call somebody out on certain things as far as not being necessarily over the top in terms of being, you know, damaging so i'll be the first person and, and and i think that's important is that we when you see something you have to say something or else that's really not leadership but that's also just missing the point of being a 
a human, right? We need to be kind to each other. We need to, if we see something where somebody is being hurt, then that's an important thing because that person needs that support. So that's that's the first part of that conversation. But then you also get into sort of the lesser obvious, right? When it's not like people aren't sure, is that really hurting that person or is it not? And I think that's when we can start to see, okay, let's engage this person in a little bit more dialogue and a kind and understanding way again, coming from that place of, let me hear you out for a moment. Because again, if we start talking at somebody in the comments or whatever the format is, that's the fastest way to put that wall up, right? They're, they're just going to shut down. You're just going to hit that wall. So if you invite them in, you're going to allow some of that wall to fall down and, and then you can start to have that conversation. So that's really important. And for and what happens there is people are going to notice that, right? So if, in terms of leadership, it's important for you to set the example because if you go back and you're just headbutting with everybody in your comments thread, guess what? People are going to notice that too. And that they might follow that, be like, oh, so Mike's doing it this way, so I guess I'll do that on Mike thread. And then the next thing you know, it's like a virus. It becomes contagious, this behavior of how to engage in dialogue. And so you've got to set the stage. You've got to open up that dialogue by doing it by example. And so that's the hard part sometimes because sometimes you're just like, you know, you're biting your tongue and you, you want to immediately respond. But one of the things I've learned is just, Take a deep breath for a second and try to think about how can I approach this so that way it doesn't become just a, you know a waste of time in terms of just arguing with each other, right? Can we get this dialogue? Some sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but at least you tried, and people are going to see that. That's the important part. You mean actually pause and think about what words are about to come out of oh, your mouth? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. What a, what a novel idea. <laughs> that, that includes the response to people. Huh. <laughs> that includes before keep you start hands, hammering away. Keep your hands, yes. in, like keep your hands and feet yes. inside the moving yeah. vehicle at all times, you know, back away from the keyboard. Yeah. I, um, you know, I often think those kind of, and I'm just as guilty of it as the next person. I've certainly sent that, you know, where I, one of the things I love best about Gmail is that I'll hit send and there's that undo button and I can click undo and pull the email back. Um, you know, um, I've just taken to, you know, basically staying away from any social media platforms when I'm incensed about something. When you get presented with something, when you see something and you have that moment and you see that comment and you know that the person and the person has come at you, what do you do for yourself in that moment? To, ha- to come from that place of empathy that you talk about, to come from that place of, I'm going to approach this in a productive way? Great question, because it, it kind of it deeply involves the work I do with dogs, right? And what happens with dogs that have a, you know, are, might be aggressive towards their owner, for instance. So the, the dog snaps or snarls or growls at their owner for whatever reason, maybe when it's they're being pets in a painful area or the, the owner goes near their food or something like that. Um, a lot of times they get angry. And again, it's a natural human response. Be like, I'm the one that gives you all your toys and your food and your comfy dog bed that I just bought you. You know, how dare you growl or bark or lunge at me? And that can be, uh, make the owner very angry and very upset. And so sometimes I have to coach the owners on what, how to respond to that and help them understand that this is, you know, the dog, responding to what they perceive as a potential 
threat in that moment, or maybe it's painful, but the dog's not doing it out of spite or malice and, and ill will. It's responding normal behavior. And so taking a step back to as a moment to like, what good is my anger going to do here? Because aggression usually begets aggression. So if I go back at the dog in an aggressive way because I'm angry, what's going to happen? Not much, except for the dog might escalate its aggression. And so the same thing can happen with people. And so what can we do to help this conversation move along? What can we do to help the client navigate that is to help them take a step back, take that deep breath, take the moment of meditation, like you mentioned, or just take a moment to kind of think about how I can channel this to something more productive in a future conversation. And so we have conversations with our dogs all day long. They, it's not in, in any kind of particular language per se, but it's in the actions we do. It's in our daily routine with the dog. It's in our body language. It's in all those the different ways we communicate with dogs. And so we can think, okay, how can I do this better the next time so that there isn't a need for my dog to respond aggressively? What can I do to change this conversation in the future? Is it working with the dog near the food bowl to help the, with the resource guarding issues? Is it to take the dog to the vet so that painful injury isn't causing a reaction? And so the same thing can be said with people. It's kind of like if you think, Kathy, like when, when the whole Michael Vick situation came out, people were extremely angry. But on the other side of the coin, you have some people that, you know, they loved Michael Vick in terms of the football fans. And so they kind of downplayed it. You know, oh yeah, it was yeah, it's terrible that what he did to the dogs, but it's Michael Vick, so you know, let's give him a pass or like, you know. And that angered a lot of people. That really, really made some people upset. Like, how how could you even like like condone what he's doing or like stick up for the guy? And so it brought on all these different angles of conversation. But again, the same thing comes into play. We've got to take a moment to be like, okay, how can I take a step back from this and not be so pissed off at the person that's sticking up for Michael Vick? but also help educate them about not only what happened with the Michael Vick dogs, but what's happening in a lot of corners of the country and all over the world. And a, what's very tragic for many dogs that a lot of people don't know about. So, you know, again, how do you turn in that real negative, visceral, angry response we might have towards those persons into something positive in terms of educating? And it certainly has been very productive over the last few years. We're seeing a lot of uh, those stories coming on, a lot of the, the dogfight uh, rings being busted and, and certainly hopefully a decline in the number of those, those you know, illegal activities. So, uh, but because of that conversation coming after was what's most important, not right at that moment, because people were angry <laughs> about it. If you had one call to action, just one call to action that you would like to give to those who listen to your, your message and those who are meeting you for the first time. For us to be in a society that can perhaps start coming more together, what would that, what would that be? You know, Kathy, I'm going to play off what you were just talking about right there, which is that consequences drive behavior. So consequences doesn't have to be a bad word. We often think of consequences as like punishment, like you're getting grounded for having the party or somebody uh, going to jail for... My brother having the party. Let's be okay. clear. It was my brother. Okay. <laughs> De deflection. That was a redirect. <laughs> uh, but yes, you know, consequences are often thought of as bad things, but they can also be good things. And time and time again, you know, the research, the data has shown that when it's positive consequences for behavior, um, such as you 
getting something good for not having that party. Um, it, it's often going to have the least amount of fallout or side effects or the other issues that come across are, are, you know, when we're doing this kind of work. Again, that's with dogs or with any other species. And to give you a good, good example is that I was talking to somebody from the HSUS. I can't go into too much detail because, uh, but they were, they're basically taking dogs from the meat trade in one of the countries where dogs are used as food. Um, and their initial approach was, I'm going to, we're going to go and, and swoop in and, and we're going to rescue all these dogs, you know, from these horrific conditions where the dogs are all trapped in tiny little cages and they're being taken on. There's no social aspects. There's no quality of life. Obviously, the welfare of the dog is awful until they're used for meat. And so they're, they're going in and swooping in and these big raids, we're going to bust these, these meat markets, and then we're going to put that person in jail or we're going to give them a consequence for that. But what they've done and they've found has worked better is they're going in, instead of swooping in, they're going in and educating these uh, farmers, we'll call them, and we'll, we're, they're teaching them how to go from using dogs for the, for the meat trade to growing crops on that same property. So growing food sources. So they're not losing their income. They're not being punished. They're giving a different consequence now. And that has proven to be much more successful because the negative consequence would just drive them underground. They'd go find somewhere else and continue doing what they're doing because they weren't given the tools or the education to do any of those things. So now, instead of continuing on and raising more dogs for meat, they are growing crops on their land and they're going away from that with a positive consequence because somebody changed it from a punitive negative approach to a kind understanding and empathetic standpoint to where they can now educate that. And so if you look at that in any scheme of the world, many times that's going to have a much better outcome. So remember that consequences drive behavior, but it doesn't always have to be a negative one. It can be a positive one. You know, when Michael talks about compassion and empathy, it sounds so simple, doesn't it? You know why? Because it is. Wait, right, look, it's not necessarily easy, but it is simple. Think about it. The minute I'm able to connect with someone and see that we have more in common than not, it makes it far more difficult to other them. And if I'm not othering them, that means we're the same. And if we're the same, I can see in them the same damn flaws I have in myself. Usually, if someone's pissing me off, I don't have to look any farther than the closest reflective object. I can see the real problem right there. That's the bad news. It's also, thankfully, the good news. Because if I am the problem, then I'm also the solution. Fascinating, right? So how about it, people? Lighten up. Let's be clear. I'm not suggesting becoming Pollyanna and skipping around like nothing's wrong. I don't know, or maybe I am. How about just how about just the next time you find yourself getting pissed off at someone? Take a deep breath and take a close look at whether it's really about them at all. Chances are pretty likely that it's not.
Okay, let's talk about Talk Unleashed and what lies ahead. I'm not gonna tell you, not specifically, but I am gonna say it's big things. Some amazing, amazing guests might have a few remote locations in the works as well. So you're not gonna wanna miss any of it. Make sure and hit subscribe. And while you're at it, tell your friends. The more the merrier. Bring them along. They'll thank you for it. I will too.